Well, conference realignment remains the biggest talking point in college sports right now, and Dana O'Neill and Brian Hamilton of The Athletic sat down and talked at length about what it could mean for Gonzaga. We break down their conversation here and what makes the most sense for the Zags, while also discussing Andrew Nembhard's record-breaking contract right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. As well as those of you who have checked out the YouTube channel as well. Very much appreciated. We're going to get right into it today. Dana O'Neill and Brian Hamilton of The Athletic sat down and had a mailbag type Q&A session article written over at The Athletic. I'll link to the article in the show notes. It was an incredible piece, as it always is. Dana has covered Gonzaga athletics, Gonzaga basketball for a long time, and every piece that she writes is well, well worth reading, uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, This one was, again, a a bit more mailbag-centric, but the first two questions heavily focused on Gonzaga, and so I kind of wanted to break those up into the first two segments here today. We're going to talk about the conversation that they had regarding Gonzaga to the Big East, the big talking point that has been discussed at length on this podcast and throughout the college basketball landscape, of course. This realignment conversation has really focused on football for the majority of college sports fans. Obviously, football is the big money maker. It's the driver. It's the reason that USC and UCLA made the decision to jump to the Big Ten. It's the reason that most decisions involving college athletics are made. That's just how it works. Capitalism, baby. That's just kind of the the the, the name of the game uh, for college sports, of course. But for basketball, there is a lot of implications here, not just with USC and UCLA moving, but what other programs could potentially change. And one of the biggest conversations that continues to come up is what it means for Gonzaga, who is clearly in a conference in the in the WCC that is below their standard of, of excellence. And, and you all know, you've listened to this podcast before. If you haven't, welcome. Uh, I'm a huge champion for the WCC. I love West Coast Conference basketball. I think the conference was very close to being a four-bid league last year. You could argue they had four deserving-ish teams. Five, really, uh, if you count the way that Santa Clara played in the second half of the year, although they struggled enough in the first half to not merit consideration for the NCAA tournament. But this is still a, a very good basketball conference, but Gonzaga is going to continue to win it every single year. And so the opportunity to potentially move somewhere else is enticing. And, and again, Brian and Dana sat down, discussed the Gonzaga to the Big East rumors. Uh, the first kind of point that they brought up was that both sides are going to be very choosy. They're going to be very smart about this. Neither side is really in a rush. And I think that's an important part that they brought up in this conversation is Gonzaga fans and and people who have been kind of talking about this have, have continued to push like this is something that is, you know, it's got legs, it's moving forward, they're talking, blah, blah, blah. And, and I do believe that there are conversations happening that have happened. I, I, I'm certain of that, basically. But I, there's not really a, a prominent rush for either side. Gonzaga is in a unique situation, and Dana talked about it in the article, basically saying they don't really have to do anything. They're wildly desirable. That's the phrase that she used, wildly desirable. Any conference would, be, would love to add them from a basketball perspective. Now, obviously, there are some... Hitches potentially with travel and with football, uh, which is kind of the the two biggest sticking points regarding the Big East and the Pac-12 respectively. 
but they're the basketball the addition of the basketball program is massive it would tremendously help any conference immediately because of that and i think the biggest issue that was brought up in this article is the biggest the big east's tv deal right now they have a tv deal with fox if anybody has watched big east basketball their games are on weird times they play friday and sunday so that would be an adjustment if gonzaga ever did end up in the big east they play friday afternoon games they play on sundays they're all over fox sports fs1 the big east has really significantly helped fox be a major player in college basketball this is a this is this is their money maker when it comes to basketball now fox just dropped a whole bunch of money on college football, a whole, whole bunch of money on college football, which kind of lends the question of, is Fox going to be able to still offer a lucrative package when the Big East wants to re-up their, their media rights? And if I, th- I think that the relationship between the two, the Big East and Fox, is strong, and I think both sides probably want to continue it as, you know, I'm not as plugged into that as many other people are, but there's no indication that either side is is, is wanting to end the relationship. But Fox... Is they don't have endless amounts of money as much as it may seem like they do. And if they're going to put a bunch of that money towards football, are they going to have enough money to continue to try to entice the Big East to stay with Fox? Are they going to be able to give them the kind of media rights deal that the Big East wants? For the Big East, they have to be salesmen. They have to convince the Fox or whomever, if it's not Fox, if it's ESPN, if it's a, if it's some other company, they have to convince them, hey, that we are a, a desirable group of basketball programs. We're going to make you money on TV deals, on media rights, on sponsorships, all of that. And one way to do that is to hold up a team that's been ranked number one in the country in each of the past three seasons and say, look, they are now in our conference. They are now playing our member schools. Like they, this Gonzaga and Villanova is a game that's going to happen twice a year. Gonzaga versus Creighton, Gonzaga, whatever the matchups may be. That is something that's going to entice those big media companies a lot. We know ESPN absolutely loves Gonzaga. I talked about that in a recent episode. That could be something that maybe moves the needle a little bit more for the Pac-12, depending on what they do. And we'll talk about that more in the second segment. But it could also be an opportunity for the Big East to add Gonzaga and put a little bit of pressure on Fox. Like, hey, we're, you know, we need this amount of money. There's other companies that are interested, you know, whatever it may be. Again, I'm not super privy to how those negotiations go. Uh, I'm not a large scale merger person like this isn't this isn't an area of expertise for me, but certainly adding Gonzaga adds value to the Big East. There's, there's zero debate about that. The Big East is a non-football powerhouse basketball conference. Adding the best basketball program in the country that also doesn't happen to have a football team is a very obvious decision. Obviously, the travel is still there. We've talked at length on this podcast about what the travel looks like. I've written about it at the website, ScoreZag Score. You can check it out there. And there are some some sticking points, some hoops that are going to need to be, you know, they're, they're going to need to figure them out. What is Gonzaga going to do with their non-revenue generating sports? Is baseball and tennis and rowing and soccer, are they going to also go to the Big East? Are they going to stay in the WCC? Is the WCC going to let them stay? Those are all things that need to get figured out. And that's part of the reason that there's not a tremendous hurry here. Gonzaga's not unhappy in the WCC. Yes, Mark Few has made statements hoping that the other programs will, you know, funnel more money into basketball and try to be more competitive. And and that has largely happened. USF makes the tournament for the first time since 1998. St. Mary's is continually a top 25 team in the country. Uh, Santa Clara took large steps last year. Portland took large steps last year. USD just hired an excellent coach in Steve Lavin and has made some serious waves via the transfer portal. So Gonzaga's not in a huge rush 
necessarily to do anything. And that was kind of a, a big part of this conversation. And Brian Hamilton, the other author in this article, he, he kind of talked about how the biggies should maybe also try to look at doing what they what he called the Yukon model, which is what they did with Yukon, where they convinced Yukon to join the Big East because they are a basketball powerhouse and they house their football elsewhere. Now he's looking at some other schools that his argument is there's there's two super conferences. If you are in a non-super conference for basketball or for football, excuse me, not the Big Ten or the SEC, does it really matter where your football program is? And it's kind of too early to tell exactly how that's all going to shake out. But his argument is maybe the Big East should call Syracuse or Pitt or Boston College or Duke, which is a bit, Duke's probably a tough call, but call schools like that and say, hey, would you consider coming to the Big East? We'll give you this piece of the pie. You'll get this much revenue. Your basketball program will be elevated because of this. And also you can maybe, you know, nobody's going to cut football necessarily, but you could move your football to the Atlantic 10, or you could move your football to independent, or you could do something different with your football program. I would think that for the Big East, it would be much easier to just call Gonzaga, convince them to come out there and just deal with it that way because it's a better basketball program than any of Syracuse, Pitt, Boston College, better than all of them. And you don't have to deal with that football piece or try to convince a program. Now you have to deal with some of the travel pieces. And that was another thing that Brian mentioned was he doesn't think that this happens unless the Big East adds at least one more West Coast school. But he also mentioned that's probably not a huge hurdle. They could probably make that work. The obvious choice in my mind would be St. Mary's. And that would be this would be devastating for the WCC if both Gonzaga and St. Mary's were to jump ship to the Big East. But St. Mary's has proven themselves to be a legitimate enough basketball program that they could compete in the Big East. There's no debate in my mind that they could compete. Would they be, you know, would they finish second like they continue to finish in the WCC? Absolutely not. Not a chance. They'd be probably a mid-level-ish Big East squad, but they would compete. And there would be years where they would make the NCAA tournament. There would be years where they might not make the NCAA tournament, but that's more or less still true these days over in the West Coast Conference. And again, they would be playing better te- better competition game in and game out. It would help them with recruiting. Uh, I would force Randy Bennett and his squad to leave California a little bit more often than they do currently, but it makes a ton of sense to me. There are other programs that make sense here too. You could look, you could remain in the WCC. You could look at San Francisco or Santa Clara. Probably don't make as much sense. They would enter the W, or excuse me, they'd enter the Big East towards the bottom of the standings. Uh, but you could also try your same football tactics with schools like San Diego State or Boise State or UNLV or Colorado State. Are those programs going to get rid of football? Obviously not. Of course not. Zero percent chance of that. But would they be able to house their football somewhere else and come over and play basketball? I think San Diego State's probably the only one that makes sense here. And I think there's a reasonable chance that the Pac-12 picks up San Diego State, in which case this is going to be a moot point. But it is something to consider for the Big East is what other West Coast schools would they add? Would it just be one? Would they try to add a couple of more, two or three maybe, to kind of make it a little bit easier from a travel perspective? Hard to say. But I think that there's definitely something here. I think it was interesting to read this article and kind of learn that there's not really a big hurry for either side. Both sides are willing to kind of wait this out, see what the media deals look like. I think that makes some sense. I don't think Gonzaga needs to be in a rush to do anything. Uh, but obviously, this is something that is being seriously discussed by more than just, you know, uh, bloggers and people on Twitter. It's a legitimate conversation that is happening. And I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how it continues to shake out. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk about the Pac-12. What is next for them? We're going to continue to use some great content from this article at The Athletic by Dana O'Neill and Brian Hamilton. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Built Bar. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gifts to your taste buds. 
You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given the Coconut Brownie Chunk the Puffs treatment. That's right, the Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. They are good for you too. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut Brownie Chunk Puffs are only here for a limited time, so go to Built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. All Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently, and it provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Stop fantasizing. Get to Built.com to order your box of Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Puffs right now. In fact, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach's heading in to segment two now. And if you've ever wondered which NFL stars move the betting lines the most, starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're switching to talk about the Gonzaga to the Pac-12 and what that could potentially look like. Of course, segment one, all about Gonzaga to the Big East, one of the prominent talking points this offseason for the Gonzaga Bulldogs basketball program. Dana O'Neill and Brian Hamilton of The Athletic were writing an article, a mailbag-style piece, discussing Gonzaga to the Big East in the first question. The second question was about the Pac-12, what's going to happen there, and whether Gonzaga could get involved. Uh, Dana talked about how the Pac-12 is is pretty much in, in trouble regardless. Uh, you know, the, the big conversation around the Pac-12 right now is what's going to happen with Oregon and Washington. We've already, of course, seen USC and UCLA depart and head to the Big 12. I don't think Oregon and Washington are going anywhere super soon. That was kind of discussed in the article is if they were highly coveted by either the SEC or the Big 10, they would be there by now. It would have already happened. The fact that it has not happened is a fairly good indication that it's not going to happen anytime soon. Of course, the merger between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 fell apart. That was discussed in a very recent episode here of Locked on Zags. Check back in your feed if you happen to miss it. Uh, There's been some conversation about a Pac-12 ACC merger, what that could look like, a shared media rights deal potentially. Uh, But the the situation with the Pac-12 was pretty dire. Uh, both Brian and Dana kind of discussed, even without, even if Oregon and Washington stay, the Pac-10 as it currently stands is just not necessarily viable. And there's some legitimate concern that if the conference is going to get quite literally get picked apart. Big 12 is going to take the schools that they want, which is rumored to be the two Arizona schools, Colorado and Utah. The Big 10 is eventually going to take the schools that they want, which is probably Oregon and Washington, potentially Stanford and Cal as well, depending on how big the Big 10 wants to get. And then, of course, you have Oregon State, Washington State, who are just going to be scrambling to figure out what the heck they can do to find themselves in a conference that's going to allow them to make some money and play their sports. Uh, And that's... That's the the worst case scenario for Pac-12 fans and for the Pac-12 conference in general, but it is a realistic situation that could end up happening. Now, the Pac-12 has the ability to fix at least their basketball fairly easily, depending on how willing they are to be flexible. Gonzaga is obviously the top choice here. If if the Pac-12 is willing to just dive into making their basketball conference better, to not care as much about football and to to kind of relax the rules that they've always had, which is always football programs and always big, highly high research institutions. If the Pac-12 was willing to to give way on that, Gonzaga would be an obvious addition. 
San Diego State would be an obvious addition. They also have the benefit of being a very good football program as well. Definitely makes plenty of sense there. UNLV, a couple other Mountain West schools, Boise State, Colorado State, obviously makes sense because they are good basketball programs and also have football programs. In Boise State's case, have a very good football program. Not sure how much that would be of interest to the Pac-12. St. Mary's was mentioned in this article. Of course, they they are basically just the same problems as Gonzaga, but just not as much of a reward. They don't bring in as much money. They are not as good of a program. So I'm not sure that I see a natural fit there. Uh, the biggest thing that Dana talked about in this article was does Mark Few doesn't need the Pac-12. The Zags don't need the Pac-12 as much as the Pac-12 might need the Zags. That was the article, or that was the conversation that she talked about. She mentioned the, would you want to play your, your rivals recruiting-wise? And she had a fantastic quote. I'm just going to read this quote directly because I think it really sums up the Gonzaga to the Pac-12 kind of conversation. Uh, quoting her now, it says, if you're Mark Few, why do you want to go up against your geographic rivals for recruits and so forth in conference? There's nothing to gain by it. Few schedules whom he wants, when he wants, and steals Oregon and Washington's lunch money in the process. Incredible quote. I absolutely love it. And it's true. It's true. What, what, is, what is the gain here? Yes, they would play better teams in January and February than they do currently. They would play Washington State and Cal and Stanford instead of Pacific and Portland and LMU. Yeah, there's, there's, there's clearly a benefit there. But right now, Gonzaga has the ability to continue to schedule basically whoever they want in the non-conference. Uh, they run straight through their conference play. They continue to get number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. They continue to make the Sweet 16. They've made two of the last five in, uh, national championship games. Like there's, there's not an obvious reason that you could point to moving to the Pac-12 is immediately going to make Gonzaga better. Now, it's probably not going to make them worse. That would be surprising. But the the argument about, yeah, they're going to be fighting with, they're going to be playing teams that they're competing with recruiting-wise, that could be a bit of a challenge for them. Uh, there, he Mark Few has continued to recruit very successfully, has continued to get the players that he wants to get. So doing anything to jeopardize that seems a bit silly. I don't know. It's an interesting argument. I think based on this conversation, this article, and, and everything else that we've kind of been hearing and reading about the Big East and the Pac-12 and kind of the pros and cons of both, the, the Big East is pretty clearly more enticing. The travel aspect is obviously significant. And, and staying in the Pac-12 and getting to play Arizona and Oregon and Washington and just being a part of the Pac-12, which has been kind of the dream for Gonzaga for so long, would be great. And it would be an improvement over the WCC in my mind. But is it worth making that jump if you could just wait a little bit longer and probably get into the Big East? Probably not. I would rather wait because again, there's nothing wrong with staying in the WCC. I think that's where there's there's this kind of sense of urgency that so many people have surrounding this this conference realignment. The, the Zags have to do something. They have to move. They can't just stay in the WCC. And there's not really any urgency. The only thing that continues to happen if the Zags stay in the WCC is a bunch of people on Twitter who don't watch college basketball continue to complain and complain and complain that Gonzaga has a crap schedule and that's why they are successful. That's really the only thing that continues to happen. Other than that, the WCC is continuing to improve from a basketball perspective. Obviously, the loss of BYU is bad, but Gonzaga is, you know, again, they can they they did it before. They can continue to do it afterwards with USF taking steps forward, with St. Mary's now being consistently excellent. I think that that's a, a bummer of a loss, but not a tragic one, not a horrible one, and not one that requires Gonzaga to make an, a, the first move available to them without weighing their options. Again, 
the first line in the article was about how Gonzaga can be intelligent and choosy. And I think that that's kind of the driving force here. Mark Few, athletic director Chris Standiford, they don't have to do anything right now. There's no need to do anything instantly. They can wait. They can see if the biggies can start their negotiations with Fox and say, what is it? How much does it move the needle if we add Gonzaga? Gonzaga can get that information, make an informed decision out of that. Maybe the Pac-12 will come calling. Maybe the Pac-12 won't come calling. They may be super staunchly against adding any school that is not a huge research institution. That is probably a bad move by the Pac-12 commissioner's office. That is probably the kind of move that could curtail the Pac-12's existence in a couple of years. But it also could be a decision that they make. It might be something that they choose. We are going to stick by this. We're going to stick to our guns. We're not going to add Gonzaga or St. Mary's or any program like that. In which case, the Zags just wait and wait and see what happens with the Big East, continue to stay in conversations with them. I've maintained on this podcast that I believe Gonzaga to the Big East will happen. I am not as confident on the timeline. I have never been particularly confident on the timeline. It's very hard to predict. But I have a hard time imagining that Gonzaga doesn't eventually find their way into the Big East. I think the Big East is probably going to expand a little bit westward in that situation where they maybe would add St. Mary's or somebody else to kind of make it a little bit easier from a travel perspective. But I do continue to think that that's going to happen. And I, and I think that the Pac-12 stuff makes some sense. There's definitely some situations where it could be realistic, but really only if they don't think that the Big East is ever going to be an option. And I have a hard time imagining that they will ever completely rule out the Big East, in which case I don't think they'll do anything until that situation comes up. All right, two segments down, one more to go. Segment three, we're going to talk about Andrew Nemhard, the biggest contract ever given to a college second round pick in the history of the NBA, secured by Nemhard on Wednesday evening. We're going to talk all about that in the final segment. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, switching away from talking about conference realignment to highlight an excellent piece of news that happened on Wednesday evening. Andrew Nembhard, former Gonzaga Bulldogs point guard, now with the Indiana Pacers, officially signed a four-year, $8.6 million deal with Indiana. Notably, out of this contract, the first three years and the $6.4 million is guaranteed. Guaranteed $6.4 million in his first three years with the Indiana Pacers. This is the highest guarantee for a second-round pick out of college ever. That is a tremendous accomplishment for Andrew Nembhard. He got more guaranteed money than the 18th through the 30th pick in the NBA draft. He went 31st, and he has more guaranteed money than the 13 players selected ahead of him in the NBA draft. That is insane. That is an absolutely ridiculous stat for Andrew Nembhard. He not only gets 6.4 in guaranteed, 6.4 million in guaranteed money, he also has the potential to hit free agency earlier than many other NBA draft picks. I saw some people talking on Twitter, I believe it was Bobby Marks, who's a prominent basketball reporter, who said, this is the best second round contract he's ever seen. Bar none, this might be the best contract a second round pick who has yet to play a game in the NBA obviously you know we talk about like Draymond Green and other very you know excellent Hall of Fame caliber second round picks they signed very great contracts later in their career but for a second round pick who's never played in the NBA coming out of college this is the best contract that's ever happened that isn't that that, that needs to be celebrated that needs to be celebrated a lot that is so awesome for Andrew Nembhard I love his story 
so much. I know so many of you who are listening to the show probably know his story. We're going to go over it anyway, because I think that it's important to kind of note his unwavering commitment to himself, his unwavering belief in his ability to make the NBA. He was a very prominent high school basketball player in Canada recruited by Gonzaga, and basically everybody coming out of high school decided to go to Florida. His intention was to be a one and done. Uh, there was That was fairly clear that he wanted to be a guy who went to college for one year and jumped straight to the NBA. And he was good at Florida, but that team wasn't very good. His teammates weren't very good. And there wasn't a realistic path for him to jump into the NBA after his first year. So he stayed for year two. Things went fine in year two, but after that, he was not happy at Florida. He declared for the NBA draft and also entered his name into the NCAA transfer portal, didn't get a lot of nibbles from NBA teams, thought, okay, that's not the path I'm going to take, but I don't want to be here in Gainesville anymore. So I'm going to transfer, ended up coming to Gonzaga. The whole expectation all along was that he was going to sit out that first season, the 2020-2021 year, uh, and then take the reins over the following year. Right before the season started, I think four days before Gonzaga's first game, he got word that he was going to be immediately eligible. The NCAA granted his request to be immediately eligible. Mark Few asked Jalen Suggs and the rest of the team, hey, is it okay? And they said, yes, that guy's very good at basketball. We would like him to be on our basketball team this year. Nembhard began, began the year in a bench role, wasn't even starting. He went from starting point guard at an SEC school in Florida, testing out the NBA draft waters, to a few months later being a backup point guard in the West Coast Conference. Yes, at Gonzaga, but that's probably not the trajectory he exactly anticipated, but he stuck with it. He played excellent in a backup role about midway through the season. He stepped into a starting role, replaced Anton Watson, who stepped back into his more typical sixth-man role, and then Nemhard was killing it after that. Him and Suggs were a two-point guard combination that was lethal. Both could play off the ball. Both could play on the ball. He had a great year. He came back. Everybody knew, all right, 21-22, man. Nemhart is leading the charge. He's going to be the dude. And he was. He shot 38% from three. He averaged a career-high 11.5 points per game. He averaged six assists per game. He was awesome. There was some flaws, certainly. He had some issues with physicality a little bit. We saw that earlier in the year. Uh, he was very bad against Arkansas offensively, at least scoring the basketball. He made the right decisions. He just couldn't get the ball to go in the net. Not the reason that they lost that game. Julian Strother struggled. Chet Holmgren got fouled out on some BS calls. We all know what happened in the Arkansas game. We don't need to rehash that anymore, but... Even after all of this, even after a tremendously successful season for Nembhard, he entered the NBA draft knowing that he couldn't come back. He'd entered for the third and final time, but he still wasn't getting a ton of traction. He was showing up maybe in like the 60 to 70 range on big boards, which is basically undrafted. Most people thought he'd be like a priority signee, maybe a two-way guy. Then we started to see, oh, maybe he's going to be the second round pick. And then the combine happened. And Andrew Nembhard killed it at the NBA Draft Combine. He needed to have a good performance there. There was no, there, that was it. That was it. There was no backup plan. He couldn't come back to school. He, that was it. He needed to play well at the NBA Draft Combine or else he was not going to get drafted in the NBA. And he did. He went out and absolutely killed it. His measurements were good. His speed numbers were good. His performance in the scrimmage was awesome. And now all of a sudden, after four-year collegiate career and thrice entering the NBA Draft, people started talking about him. Hey, maybe this guy is a second round pick. Hey, maybe this guy's a high second round pick. Hey, maybe this guy's a late first round pick. Maybe he's the kind of guy who goes to a contending team like Memphis or Golden State or Boston in the late first round and ends up being like a third string point guard for a contending team. That's not quite what happened. He ended up going 31st overall, first pick in the second round to a very, very not contending Indiana Pacers team, a team that is 
in full rebuild mode. Of course, recently traded DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, they've looking to trade Miles Turner. They're, they just traded Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics. Like they're, they're shedding salary. They are trying to rebuild around a much, much younger core. And now they have Andrew Nampart. He comes out in summer league, uh, six and a half points per game, five assists, four rebounds per game. Almost had a triple-double at one point. Uh, was phenomenal. He didn't shoot particularly well, but he was taking the right shots. They just weren't falling through the net. Uh, and now here he is, signs a contract, gets a guaranteed $6 million. One of my favorite stories. One of my favorite stories for a Gonzaga basketball player, the perseverance, the dedication, the, again, unwavering belief that I am an NBA player. I will get an NBA contract. I'm going to continue to make the decisions that make the best sense for me. He made the right decision to return to school. He made the right decision to transfer to Gonzaga. He made the right decision to come back to Gonzaga. And then he made the absolute right decision to enter the draft after this year to go to the NBA draft combine. Look at him now. I love this story. I'm so happy for Andrew. He's a pretty quiet guy, fairly reserved guy if you talk to him in press conferences or whatever, but he is an absolute bulldog in, the, in every sense of the word, an absolute warrior, and more, more than anybody deserves this contract. Guaranteed $6 million before he's played an NBA game. There's, there, I've followed Andrew Nembhardt's career for years, and until it happened, I'm not sure that I would have ever told you that I thought that was going to happen, but it did. It's more than deserving. Pumped for Andrew. Very excited to see what he can do in his first NBA season and beyond. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out my written content at scorezagscore.com if you haven't gone to the site yet. It's got just underwent a facelift. It looks fantastic. I'm very proud of it. I'm excited for you all to check it out. One more show later this week, going to talk some more NCAA rules and what that means for the Zags right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.